everybody, it's Ashley Brogan here, and welcome to week three of the Flourish podcast. I'm here with a special guest star, Jay Brogan, my husband. Welcome, Jay Brogan. Thank you. There's perks to being married to the Flourish podcast leader. That you get to be on here? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Steve Witt is actually out of town, so we invited Jay to come on because he has incredible insight into scripture and We thought it would be fun to bring some of our daily conversations we have to the podcast because Jay, for the last year and a half, has had to listen to every single question that I've had. Every single one. You know, it's not the questions. I don't mind the questions. You know, a lot of the questions you ask don't really sometimes have answers, but but I like what you talk about. We were even talking about this a couple of weeks ago, how there's something about questions and maybe not knowing the answer, the mystery of God that provokes something in us. You know, it's like that awe and wonder of the Lord. Yeah. I think oftentimes people think that the Bible's meant to give people all the answers, but a lot of times, like even this past Sunday, I was speaking at one of our campuses. I said, if there's something you read in the word that challenges you or, you know, upsets you or you don't understand, doesn't fit in your paradigm, that's awesome because the word was designed for us to wrestle with it from time to time. It's not meant to be something that we just can grasp the enormity of because that's who God is. He is his word and we're never going to get to see everything he is and all that he is. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's it's important not to let the word that stirs questions to cause you to want to give up and quit with reading the word. I just have too many questions and I do have a disclaimer that I need to give though to yeah. to the to the Flourish podcast people following us and reading the word. There are side effects to reading the word of God like we are doing. <laughs> and in our case with um, Ashley, it was the glory of God falling in the house. <laughs> a lot of weeping, a lot of- Lots like, of weeping. You know, at random times, sometimes playing cards. I think I found you once over at the dishwasher, just lunched over because you were having and a weeping. revelation. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I just want to, it's, you know, we, we laugh about it now, but I think it's just, it's, it's so amazing. And it's also fun to see how like the word really is transformational. Like you take it in and it, it, opens the door for the Holy Spirit to be released in your life in a greater way. So I would just find that I would be reading scripture and it just became all consuming and I had never experienced that before. And, and, and I would, it became all I would think about. And so then when I would, when I was doing dishes and I would just be thinking about, Oh, what I read that day. And the Lord would just reveal things to me while I was doing dishes, this like menial little task. And I just remember I was listening to a worship song about uh, I want to be the oil, I want to be the you know the offering, yeah, yeah. And I just had this thing of like I want to be a laid down lover, like I wanna I want to lay it all down for the Lord, and it just I just remember standing there weeping and you being like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "It's just I love Jesus." Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's it is uh, um, just it, once you get into the Word. I mean, it took probably a month before I fully immersed myself into the word. And then I started just having this divine encounter with the Lord. And so Mm. that's where this podcast came from. And so I'm excited to have Jay here because he experienced it kind of with me watching it happen. And, and I'm excited to talk about this week's reading, which there are so many things that we could talk about from it because we go through Jacob, we go through, Um, Jacob wrestling with the Lord, we have Judah and Tamar, and we have Joseph, and then that's not even getting to the New Testament, which are so many words of Jesus. and doesn't get better than that. And it doesn't even cover Proverbs or Psalms. There's just so much good stuff. And um, 
If you guys ever have questions, you can find us on Facebook, the Flourish Podcast, and submit questions there. We're happy to answer whatever we can during the week. And um, let's just dive into it. Let's just talk for a second about mm. um, Jacob, because he's a pretty significant person in the Bible. He's, you know, when we reference the Lord, it's always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it's funny, though, if you have that name, Jacob, like, and you insert the meaning, Abraham, Isaac, and deceiver, <laughs> Abraham, <laughs> yeah. Isaac, and supplanter. Yeah. I know he changed his name later to Israel. I don't want spoiler alert. Sorry. But, Which um, that actually leads it to an interesting point, is that the Lord changes his name to Israel, but... When in like when they're always referencing the Lord, they're referencing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so yep. I think it's interesting that it's not referencing him by his new name that the Lord gave him. I'm not sure what the significance of that is, but you know, because Abram went from Abram to Abraham, but they call him, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I yeah. think that's interesting. I'm wondering what the Lord. <laughs> Do you have I, any? Well, no, I have. A th- I don't know. I have thoughts. Like, and keep in mind, these are just like kind of like ideas. <laughs> Um, I read a Bible note recently in the Passion Translation for the book of Genesis about Abraham. And I guess like that H represents like a name of God in Jewish history. So when they put the H in Abraham, it was like God was putting his name into Abram's name. Yeah. And so maybe Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is because that when that covenant was made between Abraham and God, it extended to his familial line. So Jacob, although his name is changed later after he has the encounter at Bethel and all, all those things happen in his life, and his name gets changed to Israel, which means Prince of God, but maybe they reference Jacob because um, he was already in covenant. And we don't reference Abram because God put his name into him when they yeah. made the covenant. And that's why we have him on the podcast today. <laughs> that's really good. I would not have thought of that. Yeah. Um, but so when we're with Jacob, he's going and he's wanting to find a wife. Um, this is after wanting to find a wife. Yes. Yes. I did find one. <laughs> you did. I think it was my first weekend in Cleveland. I found her maybe even before then. <laughs> we met. Oh, for the record, I know this is supposed to be just about scripture, but, um, I actually met Ashley during my job interview for Bethel. She called and prophesied over me and you know, that was it. We were just in love. That was it. Yep. So I mean, there's now a lot more to for the story, all our single awesome. people, if you're looking to find a husband, all you got to do is prophesy. <laughs> I guess it really, I guess it really it goes depends, against our rules, you know. <laughs> Anyways, so Jacob goes to find a wife and he sees Rachel and he wants to marry her. So he goes. But remember, this is important to note. Yeah. When he met Rachel, like, wasn't Rachel the one who watered the camels? Am I getting that crisscrossed with Rebecca? With Rebecca, I think so. Oopsie. Mm, there might be. I don't, I'd have to go back and look. I can't, I don't, I get them confused all the time. Um, but he sees Rachel and he wants to marry her. So he goes to Laban and Laban says, you can have her if you work seven years for me. So Jacob says, great, okay, I'll do that. And so he works seven years and then Laban tricks him and gives him Leah. What a trick that was. He works <laughs> seven years. He was totally in love with Rachel and then wakes up in the morning. Whoop, there's Leah. Yeah. And the funny thing about Leah is there's a, a, a scripture verse about her. I mean, it's scripture is so funny. Uh, it said that she had no sparkle in his eye, in her eye, no sparkle. And so I looked it up and I was trying to figure out what does that mean to not have sparkle? And the only thing I could find was nobody really knows <laughs> what that means. It's just, I, yeah, it's probably communicating that she wasn't, 
you know, well, they referenced that she had no sparkle in her eye, but Rachel, they said, had a pretty face and a nice figure. It's what it said. Aww, so, you know, Leah. the Bible was written by a man. Obviously. Yes. And this is what I think that's so beautiful about Leah is, and it reminded me of Hagar. I don't know why I felt a correlation between the two, but um, when we just read about Hagar and she's grieved that she's leaving, that the Lord, Lord kind of gives her this promise for her son Ishmael and she calls God the God who sees me. Yep. And so then I thought it was interesting that Leah, it notes in scripture that Leah was not loved. And it was like the Lord saw her and took compassion on her and said, I'm going to open her womb. And so like Rachel couldn't have children, but Leah could. And I just think, is that not like, I don't know. I I feel like because I see in scripture over and over this theme about how the Lord is moved by compassion. You hear about it a lot in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. but I've been been seeing it all throughout the Old Testament that we serve a God who is compassionate. And and I just think it's there's something so powerful about the fact that Leah, it notes, was not loved, but the Lord saw her. He was moved by compassion and he opened her womb. And from her, the one who was not loved is where the line of Jesus comes from, Mm. which I think is incredible. Don't you just love that about God? Yeah. You know, I think that everybody can relate to feeling unloved or unwanted and to know that like God sees us in those places, those low, those low moments where we feel like we're not noticed or we don't matter and that like God sees. I mean, I, I read this story and it just makes me think back over my life when I felt like that. And it's just... It is beautiful and wildly comforting that we have a God who who sees us when we don't think we're we're lovable. Yeah. You know, and that the promise, like you said, the generational line of Christ came out of Leah. So even in the middle of all of that, gosh, can you imagine the relationship dynamics of that? Having, you know, one husband and two wives and then later the Zilpa and Bilha. I mean, what a coincidence that those are their names, by the way. You know what's they really ride. funny about that? I was driving the car with my parents and with the kids and I was talking to my dad about, I hadn't gotten beyond uh, Leah having four kids. She had four sons. Mm-hmm. And then it says she stopped conceiving. She had four. And so I'm sitting there and I go, I haven't read beyond, but I'm having a hard time remembering like, if from Jacob there were 12 tribes of Israel and Leah had four sons and I know Rachel had two, I'm like, where the where the other sons come from? And Josie, our eight-year-old, she goes, oh, I know where they came from. And we were like, okay, please tell us. where." <laughs> and he goes, because the one daughter gave Jacob her servant and then the other daughter gave Jacob her servant and they had sons. And we were like... Wow, Josie. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's important to that's know. Incredible. It's important to know we don't have any requirements for the kids. We don't like have a Bible plan no. that we force them to. We really want it to be organic and coming out of their lives. But watching Ashley's transformation and the effect it had even on on me and everybody around her, she's trying to go through the Bible herself now. So yes. like, she's our little theologian. Our eight year old is reading. You know, not a kid's Bible. She's reading the full adult Bible. Which if you can imagine, as you've read the readings, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions that come up when her reading. Um, And I remember she, she asked quite a bit of questions and I'm always like, Oh, is this something we should be reading? And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. We want her reading the word. (laughs) I I wanted to kind of circle back real quick. Cause remember we were talking about the parallel between Rebecca and Rachel. And when, when they met their, their spouse. Yeah. Um, So Rebecca, she watered the camels when Isaac uh, 
no, Abraham's servant mm-hmm. came and she watered the camels and that was an indicator that that was, you know, the, the, woman, the woman who was chosen. Yep. But I, I looked back while we were talking and I noticed it's it's interesting. It's it's kind of reversed. When Jacob gets there, he is at the place where they're watering the animals, but there's a stone over the well and you're not supposed to take the stone off until everybody arrives to water the animals. But Rachel comes up and she is a shepherd. Oh, that's right. And he removes the stone himself and waters the animals. So when... When Rebecca was chosen, she watered the animals, but in this next generational, there's kind of some perfect symmetry for it. Jacob watered the animals. Wow. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. I have no idea. (laughs) That's great. But it's interesting. And, you know, it really kind of, it just, something about Rachel being a shepherd also, I think. um, Well, I think it's also important to note too, that like the Lord did open the womb you know, of Leah and she had four sons, but then he also did for Rachel. And even though the line of Jesus doesn't come through Rachel, Rachel was still blessed because she had someone really significant in her bloodline as well with Joseph. Yeah. Like a really powerful man of God that came from, from Rachel. So, you know, the Lord blessed both of them just in different ways. Do you think, like, I wanted to talk about, um, that conversation that we had maybe last week when we were we were going through the reading about uh, Jacob's name again, deceiver and yeah. supplanter, and you know it's it's so interesting when you kind of trace back, starting with his mother helping orchestrate the blessing theft by yes. the, the clothes and the hair and the arms and, and yeah. the, the meal, and then Jacob uh, deceiving his father, stealing the blessing. Um, I don't know if you could say that he deceived his brother Esau for the birthright because, you know, he had a real good bowl of soup, apparently <laughs> worth birthright yeah. worthy, but it, it trickled down. Didn't it? you mention like, um, well, Laban, right? Laban, Laban deceived Jacob yeah. multiple times. Mm-hmm. And, and the, then later, later we read that Rachel was also deceptive as well with the idols when yeah. she s- takes the idols and hides yeah. them. When, when they, um, were, sca- when Jacob was leaving, uh, taking all his wives and cattle with him and leaving Laban, um, she took the household idols with her. And then when Laban caught up, he was so angry yeah. that they had left. And he noticed that his household idols had been taken. So they searched everywhere, couldn't find them until, um, but but the Bible gives us the inside scoop that they were in Rachel's like saddle pack that she yeah. was riding on. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was curious. I thought, I, I don't know what to get from that, except for the fact that it's interesting that kind of how... Jacob built his life on deception that it kind of comes back at him, but the Lord still blesses him. You know, that too spoke volumes is you kind of read these stories about Jacob and you're like, why, why, why did the Lord (laughs) choose to bless him? And I mean, maybe for the sake of Abraham and for the sake of Isaac that he did. And, and I also thought it was interesting that he, um, when, when Jacob encountered the Lord at Bethel, it was almost like that was his first like his awakening to the Lord was when he encountered the Lord at Bethel, which he also encountered the Lord at Bethel multiple times. Yeah, but admittedly, this was different. You know, this yeah. was this was quite the the encounter. It changed everything that he. What did he say? He said clearly, God was in this place, and I didn't know. Yeah. But you know, this is, it is an important encounter. I, I just pulled it up, and it's in Genesis twenty-eight, and I think it starts at verse thirteen. It, it says that. Um, Oh, sorry, excuse me, 12. He said as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. And at the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, 
and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you as your descendants. And he goes on, you know the promise? It, he repeats the the blessing and the promise that he'd given to Abraham about his descendants being as numerous as the dust on the earth, spreading out to the nations. So it, it almost feels like that Bethel encounter was like the culmination of that covenant promise, like the almost like the catching of the mantle or the transfer of that of that covenant promise to the next generation. And when he woke up, he set up that monument. He said, "Clearly, the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it." And maybe that changed something about the way he viewed God and and, and his future. Yeah, that one. I I think it's interesting that um, Jacob really encountered the Lord multiple times. And the thing that is interesting too is that the Lord told him twice that he was changing his name. Um, I I don't know what the significance of that is either. <laughs> Just everything I read, I'm like, what's the significance? But I know there has to be significance. But I think the thing that really kind of stops me up is that the Lord appeared face to face with Jacob. And it goes back to when we were talking about Abraham because the Lord appeared face to face with Abraham. But in scripture, it says that you cannot see the face of God and live. And like Moses could not see the face of God. He had to see his back, like we talked about in last week's podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I just go, what Like, what form did the Lord take to appear with Jacob? And I think, I think I'm specifically referencing when he wrestled. Yeah. Um, how did Jacob know that that was the Lord? Because it says in Scripture, a man— wrestled with Jacob. And then it was like he had the revelation that it was the Lord. But he had this like face-to-face encounter with the Lord. And I just, I, I don't know why that's something I get stuck on, but it just, it, it it makes me very curious. And it makes me also excited to think like, was it Jesus? Is it Jesus who appeared? Did they, did these people experience Jesus before he was, you know, Jesus in the New Testament? Mm. And you know how much... Like, how much was God holding back when he wrestled him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to let him, like, <laughs> you know, him they're making it sound like there was like this yeah. big struggle that happened. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. but like, it's almost like you're arm wrestling with a toddler. Like, you're like, oh, yeah. I'm trying to struggle. It's not really a struggle. Um, well, what, what is the point of that, that story? Like, what was the point in Jacob wrestling with God? You know, it, there's so many different answers for that question. And, but typically for me, um, what my mind goes to first is I think about how a lot of us wrestle with God in a figurative way in our thoughts about our future and our, our destiny and what we're going to embrace and what we're going to pick up that the Lord's asking us to pick up. And sometimes I wonder, you know, it's almost funny. It's, it's like he's wrestling God and he said, I won't leave until you bless me. Yeah. I won't let go until you bless me. But here's the funny thing. Jacob had already gotten the blessing, yeah. right? Yeah. He already got it from his father. He had already tricked and swindled to get it. Maybe this is an important moment for for Jacob because it's it's the part where he asks God himself for the promise that he had stolen because maybe there was something being rewired in his spirit that it that even though it was prophesied at birth that you know they would wrestle. I mean, I I remember like when um, Rebecca was pregnant, they said it's two nations warring inside and the young girl triumph over the o- other. So there's prophecy that's supporting that he's going to be the one to come out on top, right? But I, I, I wonder if the Lord was touching his heart, convicting him of deception. And part of the name change was a recalibration in his heart and that he needed to ask God himself for the blessing because he had obtained it, even though prophesied, but he obtained it through duplicitous means. He stole the yeah. blessing. Maybe this is where he was given the blessing in a uh, 
you know, albeit kind of like a natural way, like guys get a lot of gratification from winning, maybe like wrestling with God made him feel like he had won the right to get the blessing. Yeah. Whereas before he was deceptive. That's Mm. a really great point. Yeah. I think it's really interesting though, how this whole, this portion of scripture is set up because I I often think like, it just says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled him until the break of day. So I, I, I just wonder like, what was Jacob doing? Did this guy just appear out of nowhere, which we know is the Lord, but did he just appear out of nowhere? What started the wrestling? Like, why? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what's the, what question, led though. to this moment? So my, my, I guess my thought is it's pretty simple. He was nervous about meeting Esau. The last time that he was alone, the word of the Lord came to him in a powerful way. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? We'll never know this. We don't know what he was thinking or what was going on inside his head. But I just wonder sometimes if he sent people ahead because he had anticipation, hope, expectation, faith for an encounter with the Lord. Oh, maybe he did. I I read it like he sent people ahead because he was afraid for his life because he was afraid of Esau. But I think maybe both, right? Yeah. Like I think that when you're afraid for your life, we naturally turn to God. Even people who don't know the word, even people, you look at every circumstance where someone's in a life-threatening like situation, what's the first thing to go? Usually atheism. And they're like, oh, God, help me. You know what I mean? So maybe this is one of those moments he's afraid for his life. He is sending them ahead because he's nervous about Esau. But I just wonder, and again, I know we can't know this. I wonder if there was some faith attached to that moment that he wanted to hear from the Lord. I also think um, it's interesting afterwards that he is afraid of encountering Esau because he did steal the birthright. So he's trying to set up like little micro armies to try and yes, in case and, and Esau comes. presents ahead at the right time. Yeah, and I just think it's fascinating Esau's response to seeing his brother. It has been years. It's been a long time that they've been together, and Esau's response was almost that of like the prodigal. Mm-hmm. Son coming back, his response was to kiss his face and hug him, and and his response was like a positive one. What happened in Esau's life in that time where Jacob was gone that would cause Esau to respond that way? And I just think it's a really beautiful response because following this, I, Isaac dies. Um, Isaac is still here in this story, which is yeah. crazy. He dies at like 182 or something. Um, but then Isaac dies, and it notes that Jacob and Esau buried Isaac together, which is also something I brought up last time, uh, that Ishmael, it was like Ishmael and Isaac reunited when Abraham died. And I just wondered if, it seems like there's continuity between those, you know? Well, you know, it's funny. We were talking a couple minutes ago about um, how wrestling with God was maybe a way of like obtaining the promise of God through like a right, like the right avenue. But it's interesting, right? Like he's sending people ahead and it's in response to the confrontation that he believes is going to happen with his brother, right? So it really is like on the way back, he had to confront all of the deception that he left behind. He had to confront all of the, like the reason why he left. Because remember, his mom told his dad that she didn't want him to marry a Canaanite woman, but the real reason was because Esau was planning to kill him. So mm-hmm. they sent him ahead to to kind of separate the two. Yeah. And he had this whole other life with Laban, all these other struggles and difficulties and obtained great wealth, but also like frustration and learning about bartering, like all that. And he, and he, and he comes back mm. and he's confronting all of that. He's yeah. confronting his, his lies, his deception. Wow. And he's got a... But really, I think he's afraid of Esau. But what I really think he's feeling is conviction for the wrong that he had done to Esau. Yeah. What he believed was righteous judgment. And when he came, like you mentioned, to meet Esau, he wasn't met with 
punishment. He wasn't met with consequence. He was met with forgiveness, which I think is also well, kind of beautiful. the kiss of heaven. It's <laughs> yeah. like the kiss of heaven, right? Yeah. To say that he had just gotten the promise. Yeah. And the Lord had forgiven. It's almost like through. he had to leave to go and, and wrestle his shortcomings in the form of other people being that way towards him. And he had to wrestle the the deception of other people because mm-hmm. he was a deceiver. Yep. And then, wow, that's that's actually a really, yeah. it shows like it's like a cyclical, yeah. like a full circle thing where you can see that the Lord, then he had to wrestle the Lord. That was like the final and think battle. About, <laughs> and think about like this too. Like the, I believe that the Lord can sometimes uh, offer us forgiveness when it comes through other people, that it can be partnered together. So Esau forgiving him was also the Lord maybe communicating that forgiveness through Esau. Wow. And through the redemptive work. just crack the code? Right. (laughs) And and think about it. Like he had to have done a redemptive work in Esau. Because if you remember and rewind back to the, 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 altered blessing that he received, it wasn't great. It said like, you know, you're going to struggle, you're not going to have what you need, but when the time comes, you're going to break the yoke off of your brother. And that moment did happen, obviously, when when Jacob left. Yeah. Right? But imagine the process Esau had to go through. He had to go through forgiving himself for trading his birthright and having disdain for it and recognizing that he had thrown away something of immense value. And then he also had to forgive his brother for stealing the blessing that was rightfully his as the firstborn. So a process happened in Esau and before Jacob ever came back. So it, it's interesting. You say God loves the unloved. While he was processing with Jacob, he didn't abandon Esau Clearly something was going on in both places and he brought restoration to both. Wow. I think we just cracked the Bible code. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was really good. Yeah, right? I, we could talk about this for days. Um, but let's let's next move on to, to there's still so much to cover. I know. Um, because we have the story in there of Judah and Tamar and the importance of that is that, you know, Judah and Tamar, this, she is one of the women that is listed in the line of Jesus. Um, when we talked about the genealogies, that there's four women, and this is the Tamar that is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. So it's an interesting story. I don't fully understand the story. And, and you know, I, I can find significance in Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, but then Tamar, I'm, I'm curious what, like, the listeners might glean from Judah and Tamar in that story and why she was a significant note in the line of Jesus. I would love to hear what people think about that. Do you have any thoughts or it's just an interesting story. Can I, I, can I be honest? Yeah. My first thought that popped up is I'm just having this revelation now that Josie has read this story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, cause she's made it past here. Oh my. She's in Leviticus. So she, she knows all about this. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) So like Onan, Mm. all that. She's read (laughs) all that. She's, Wow, and she's really plowed through it, man. She has. Um, but then after, even after Judah and Tamar, we have Joseph. He's a very significant um, person in in the scriptures. And yes, we start with Joseph's life, his dreams. Um, can Can I touch on yes. one thing though from the Tamar story? Because yeah. you know, it's it's a lot. I mean, when you read this, you know, it's a lot um, yeah. about what they went through. But I think that there's something that what's really interesting, basically. Tamar marries into a family and each one of her her husband dies and then 
because of like Jewish like heritage law, however you want to say it, they have to have the the next oldest son marry. So, but each one kept dying for like unrighteousness or doing things that weren't right um, before the, the Lord. So she got sent away until the youngest son was going to be of age. And then you know through deception, and there it is again, through through deception, she manages to um, carry Judah's child. Um, and what I thought was really interesting is when they were going to pull her out in the streets for what they believed was like adultery, and she had his, you know, his identification to prove that Judah was the father. And what he said really stuck with me. Listen to this. He said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son. Mm. And so all of that, it's just interesting that he would say that she's more righteous. Wow. You know, it's just, I know that's going to provoke a lot of questions, but I just thought that was an interesting point. And as you mentioned in the bloodline of Christ, that's an interesting person to reference. But she was mentioned as righteous. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Maybe I should go back and read the story again. I must have missed that, that portion. I think I just like maybe have not really absorbed that portion of scripture yet, but that's yeah. really interesting to note. Well, it's just, you know, it's such an interesting story because it doesn't look righteous. It do, it looks very confusing. Yeah, I think that's it's what's confusing, con- it's confusing you know? for sure. And like we mentioned, I think I, you and I in our conversations, I forget what's happening today and what we've had in the past, is that the word's designed for us to wrestle with it. Yeah. And so like these questions are normal, natural. And instead of um, kind of walking away, if you have a heart that's hungry for God, it pulls you in. Mm. And then what does Jesus say later in the New Testament? He said, if you're hungry, you're going to be filled. So like ha- being pulled in, that hunger. So I love the questions, even if I don't know the answer, because I feel like questions now or wrestling is an invitation for God uh, for revelation. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. So let's let's just let's jump in real quick. Oh, there's so much to cover, but Joseph, I don't know the timer's not going so I don't know how long we've been doing this. It's okay. Um it's fine. Okay, okay, so let's talk about Joseph really quick because he's a very significant person, historical figure in the Bible. And um he we we have him uh his dreams, his brothers Hating him. But, you know, they, they, they hated him because they were jealous because he got preferential treatment. He yeah. got the coat of many colors. And if you watch the cartoon, he runs around singing while they're working. Yes. <laughs> I am a miracle child. That's what <laughs> For those of you who don't we know, there is a Joseph all the movie. Time. You can watch it yes. as a cartoon. And, you know, he's just running around in his little coat going, I am a miracle child. I am special. I am different. And Jay all the and brothers. I were watching it. And we were like, no wonder his brothers hated him. Because they're working. Obnoxious. And he's running around just with his little, <laughs> like, you know, wind dancer band. Singing about himself, so yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that's how um, it played out. It but. was not probably how it played out, but I I think like they I'd see like to believe it they did. see their brother who is the firstborn son of of Jacob's beloved Rachel, and he gets preferential mm-hmm. treatment, and he gets the coat of many colors, and he has dreams that he shares with everybody. You were all bowing down to me, like it's like you read it and you're like, well, I mean, I kind of understand why maybe they were annoyed by him, well, and it didn't help that like I think Joseph was also functioned sometimes as a supervisor, would carry messages for his dad or go check on how his brothers were doing. So like that adds to a lot of the yeah, dynamic it was an there. interesting dynamic. So then they get upset and they sell him into slavery. And Jacob is grieved because he loves Joseph. Um, he's sold into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife, sneaky little person. She tries to take advantage of Joseph. And then Joseph righteously says no. And then he gets thrown into prison. And then in prison, he interprets their dreams. And he says, please remember me when you leave. And, and it says that they left and forgot about him. I think it's important to note that in the prison, though, he was also like he excelled. Like yeah. he was in charge of running the prison. So like each step along the way, you know, 
he was doing supervisory work for his father. And then in slavery, yeah, he was doing supervisory work for Potiphar. Mm-hmm. And then it was promoted to the head of houses there as well. I yeah. mean, and the whole, you know, Potiphar's wife kind of trying to seduce, uh, seduce him, got him thrown into prison where instead of being killed or, you know, that's the last we hear of him, he excels at being in charge of the prisons. Just interesting how each step in that journey that looks like a, like a, a, a back, a backward yeah. motion prepared him so that when he, the dreams were interpreted, like you had mentioned, he had already learned at varying degrees how to run things. So he went from running a household to running a country. Yeah, it's like him Him in all these circumstances really positioned him to be qualified to do what he was doing in running the prison. And I think it's interesting in the scriptures where it's talking about him in prison, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. Yeah. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So it was like everywhere he went, he gained favor and experience yeah and it's interesting like like to note that that favor wasn't exclusive to his father the family dynamics a lot of times when you have favor in a small environment you can like write off someone's favors like oh they've got that because this is who they're married to or this is who they're in relationship with but it's really interesting that his favor was transferable wherever he went yeah the favor of god was with him oh i want that you have it I want the favor of the Lord. You do. I declare it. I make it so. (laughs) The Lord make it so. (laughs) Uh, It's just, it's, I'm I'm excited to get into Joseph, which we can get into more for next week's reading because there's more, obviously, to the story. And we kind of end with um, Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream. Um, But if we kind of jump ahead to a place, this was my first revelation I had was in Matthew 9, your reading um, about Jesus and all of the things that he's doing. And I, I think it's interesting that um, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood, and the healing of two blind men all happened in like immediate succession. Mm. Like I think when you read about, at least for me, when I read about the miracles that Jesus did, I kind of, it's like, oh, this one here, this one there, this one here. But when you're reading Matthew 9, it's like he did these three significant miracles all within on his way to Jairus's daughter, the woman with the issue of blood shows up and he, she gets healed. And then he, mm. then he heals Jairus's daughter and immediately after heals two blind men. And I just, I think it's really interesting when you read it to kind of see like he, I think maybe I've just lived my whole life thinking the main miracles that are noted are the ones that were done, but it also mentions that he was moved by compassion. And so he healed everyone who came to him. Do you know what else is kind of interesting to think about with that? Like the way that we run our lives now, like in Western society, everything's really scheduled, especially if you have kids and family and work, you know, you're kind of regimented. And so I don't know, part of me kind of read that portion and had a revelation for the first time that the healings that Jesus performed, you know, specifically on on the blind guys and on the woman with the issue of the blood, those weren't necessarily a part of his travel itinerary. Those were interruptions. That's so true. Do you know what I mean? Like how many healings took place, even with the paralytic being dropped from the ceiling? Um, a lot later of them the, were interruptions. They were interruptions right? to what he was really doing. Yeah. And he never seemed irritated by that. It was almost like he was able, he was so connected to the Lord and so connected to compassion that when people had a need and their faith propelled them forward, he wasn't annoyed by the interruption. In fact, it made it into scripture. And there are yeah. healings that didn't make it as far as the whole story it says that he healed a whole group of all manner of diseases, illness and demon yeah. possession. We didn't get to hear about the names, but there's something about, I think the Bible makes note of 
healings that were interruptions, not planned prayer lines, but things that interrupted where he was going. I think that's not by accident. I think that's intentional. Well, so then what do you think about the fact that after the, you know, Jairus's daughter, a woman with the issue of blood, the two blind men, that Jesus keeps saying to them, don't tell others about this. Like, don't tell anyone. I've healed you. Don't go tell anybody. But then it says, unable to contain themselves, they went out and spread the news everywhere. What like what what do you think the purpose is in Jesus saying that to them? Like, don't tell anyone. Like he had to have known they were gonna go. Like Oh, you're you're opening up a can of worms. I know. There. Like he had to have known they were gonna go tell everybody, like, but they couldn't contain themselves. So like him saying, Don't tell anyone, it's not like they honored that request because they couldn't they it was like they couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't do it. They had yeah. they had to tell people. But so then what would the purpose be in Jesus saying, Don't tell anyone if he knew they were gonna do it anyways. Well, you know, uh, uh, here's the question. Like, uh, let me preface this by saying that God has a missional plan for the earth. Yeah. And um, the cross and the resurrection were all part of that plan. Mm-hmm. But he has like, uh, you can read it from, as you read through the whole Bible with us this year, you're going to see that there is a, there is so much that the Lord wants to accomplish in the earth, you know, and salvation's definitely like probably the most relevant thing that we think of for ourselves, but he has plans about what he's going to do in the end times and how the world's going to end. And so Jesus came and he embraced the limitations of humanity. He embraced, and and the question mark is how much did he know about his divine heritage? I mean, he knew he was the son of God. He knew what his mission and purpose was, but how much did he know about all the specifics? Sometimes like, did did he only have an impression? And in answer to your question, this is where I'm going with this is I feel like the, Jesus was being led by the Holy Spirit to make sure that everything that needed to happen happened. And if the word spread too quickly or things moved too fast, would that have um, caused things to escalate too quickly? You know what I mean? And, um, but he was concerned because he knew he had a really limited amount of time and he was led by the spirit. So I, I think that everything he did was really, really intentional. And so asking people not to say anything probably was led by the spirit to try to allow the timeline for the father's plan to to unfold through Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But he had to have known that people would be, you know. Yeah, but you know, maybe they told a couple less people. Well, like if Jesus came and healed me of a major ailment, I don't know that I'd be able to be like, sure, I'll keep the secret, you know. (laughs) No, it's true. How do you explain it though? If you were blind, now you can see, what do you say? Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Just, uh, <laughs> it's a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, well, I thought I think we've covered as much as we possibly can in in a thirty five minute time frame. But thank you so much for joining us today, Jay Brogan. It was an honor having you, and I look forward to having you again in the future. And if you uh, haven't joined us in the Bible reading, now is a great time to jump right in. You can pick up where we are. We'd be happy to have you. Reach out to us. We would love to involve you in our year through the Bible. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Be blessed. Goodbye. Goodbye.